delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.TV, taking a bite out of technology. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you're listening from. Welcome to episode 484 of the Two Tackies for Saturday, October 19th, 2019. This is a show devoted to the week's most notable tech stories in around an hour or less. With me, Jimmy Bunting and Aaron Fisher. Well, Aaron is what? Well. There's two of us. Yes, that, that makes sense. On this week's episode, streaming competition, a work-life balance with technology, and laptops are still on Apple's mind. so much for joining us on this week's episode as always if you do and if this is the first time listening thank you as well our sincere condolences that you've came across the show i'm only joking i'm only don't 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 go anywhere don't don't go anywhere not yet not yet anyway uh lewis to talk about this week in the technology world especially considering it's wide scoping this week actually there's been a 5g launch there's been a 4g outage and that's just in the uk and <laughs> from two different networks also netflix this week a little bit of uh, against the wall bit of competition bit of scarcity doesn't hurt takes away from a not uh, monopoly from them and then also an interesting discussion on work-life balance with technology because years gone by you left work you were at home not as simple now in 2019 when you have a phone which is probably connected to all of your work apparatus could a ban be the wrong move though could a ban on out of hours work via technology be the wrong move we'll talk about it don't think there's a right or wrong answer there but we'll talk about it aaron hello hello how are we i'm doing pretty well i uh i just want to mention something i I actually forgot to to mention last week and i'm sure you're about to find this extremely riveting slash laugh at me for it oh dear right um i as you know i've purchased a few vinyls in my time i.e three (laughs) and you've mocked me every time am i correct yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's true. Now, to be fair, in my defense, I've never had the intention of playing these vinyls. One of them is signed, the rest are very much wall pieces. Um, and last weekend, last Saturday, I think, um, it was National Album Day, um, in the UK at least, which is a day dedicated to, you guessed it, albums, uh, putting something on, not skipping a song. It's kind of like the idea is breaking that, uh, that jumping around culture we, we've now gone into with music. Um, so so I just happened upon HMV, a music store in the UK, and they had completely reworked their vinyl section. And I was oh, uh, no. crawling through for my favorite, uh, my favorite band, and I found an out. Al- I found my second favorite album of all time that I didn't yet have. So I purchased that, obviously, as you do, the only right thing to do. Um, this time I got home and I thought I've never heard what a vinyl sounds like. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go around in the loft and dig for this, uh, dig for the vinyl player that I know is up there. 
And I really mean dig. He's done it. Now, you can imagine our house. Like, I am a, well, we are collectors of Macs and collectors of all kinds of technology. It was definitely a archaeological dig up there to go and find this thing. This thing had been up there for, for two or three decades. My, my, my dad is very, very much one of those people who vinyl had its day. He, he's very much a CDs came and they were infinitely better in every single way possible. Not that mm. I didn't believe him, um, but I wanted to see what it was like for myself. So we got the vinyl record player down. Had to go dig for an amp and some speakers as well. Um, at this point, we're already at like it's taken over a desk in a bit um, just for space. Um, a lot of cleaning involved. That thing has been up there for like I say 20 or 30 years. Um, didn't work initially, which was a little bit of a surprise considering how simple they are underneath. Um, a couple of uh, mm. few minutes later, got it working or thought we got it working. Then proceeded to spend the next hour, two hours, maybe even three hours trying to get this thing to play the record back at the right speed. This is a direct drive <laughs> record player, so it doesn't have like slop and gearing and whatnot because it's direct driven, which means it should be a lot better. But I was listening to one of my favorite albums of all time in chipmunk style. I think I sent you a quick <laughs> video of it and it's hilarious hearing it. But we spent hours, I mean, to no avail. This thing is still, it's now sat out, uh, sat waiting to go back up again because it was very much a five minute experiment and uh, my dad came out the other side of it going dodge it because um, <laughs> you can literally yeah, shout I, I agree i agree well, we're at the point where i could shout across the room at my uh, my sonos and get it to, to play exactly the album or exactly the song i want in three seconds flat and it will play it back at the correct speed it's um, funny that isn't it isn't it safe to say there's a reason why we don't produce the show on vinyl <laughs> i think we should for 10 years mm. we should do a vinyl pressing <laughs> there you go but um i mean oh, this thing as well was like i'm on the first floor so the floor is obviously not solid concrete and mm. this thing has little stabilized feet and whatnot but when you walk across the floor like 20 or 30 feet away this thing will just skip and jump because it like you have to set it up perfectly and i appreciate everyone who's listening who has you know years of experience with vinyl players is probably laughing hysterically at me right now but i also appreciate this thing was run running at a higher pitched but the sound it did produce through what we know to be a very good quality amplifier and a very good set of speakers i don't i don't get it i don't get why people are all like oh it's so warm and rich and this it did it, it was worse than my bluetooth speakers it was not great i don't understand so you're confident i it is not the way forward i believe that uh it is not the way forward i believe we are all <laughs> now moving on to um i believe they're called cassettes i could be wrong um <laughs> yeah. Or laser, laser discs, isn't it? That's the latest thing. <laughs> Funny, I, I read a thing recently enough. I can't remember if it said cassettes or CDs. I'm nearly sure it was cassettes because it was talking about the vinyl, quote, comeback, unquote. And it then said, yeah, vinyls have made a com comeback. Cassettes have too now. And you look at the graph. No, it has not made a comeback. There's a, the smallest increase in sales. But when you compare it to actual sales when cassettes were a thing, yeah. And that makes so much sense. I mean, there isn't going to be a mass flux of people buying these products around I the think world because there just aren't the, the mediums to play them for a start yes i get the nostalgia factor and I, I there will always be vinyls but that's like saying there will always be a horse and cart yes you do occasionally see them very seldomly 
and they're not very popular. I think just on those two things, I think you're exactly right. And I agree with everything you said. Um, I can vouch for the fact that so the latest uh, Blink album and uh, Simple Creatures album I've both seen, you could pre-order them on cassette. Which I obviously laughed at whilst purchasing my vinyl, um, because I'm a true <laughs> hipster. No, I'm just kidding. Oh dear. <laughs> but uh, the one thing I will say about cassettes is cassettes do still kind of have a place because there are still lots and lots of cars um, kicking around that still have cassette players. You've got to remember, cars had cassette players for years. Um, my old Mazda, if you remember, it had a cassette player in it. You remember mm. because we had to go, we had to, we, yeah. we, you forced me basically to go to Halfords that one time and buy a. Uh, three and a half mil to uh, cassette thing which is actually pretty cool and I yeah s- it did work didn't it, it worked it, well it did work it worked wonders much better than that fm thing and i still have that in my uh current mazda even though it has no cassette player um, <laughs> makes sense <laughs> but uh yeah i'm very much on the i buy the vinyls because they're a nice big high quality version of the album you can get some cool uh, vinyl designs and you can put them in display cases they look okay. cool but yep. i'm quite happy playing yep. them at 320k on Spotify or Brilliant. by Bluetooth in my car. We'll accept it. Vinyl's dead and Aaron has just agreed on that, correct? Uh, no, I'm going to be buying everything in vinyl. I'm going to be ditching my <laughs> Spotify subscription um, yeah. and I'm going to put a vinyl player in my car. Mm. I see Sounds nothing like that could go wrong with that. Let me know how that goes. I will do. <laughs> yeah. Until then, we'll go to the quick news. O2 has switched on its 5G network, the last of the UK's mobile operators to do so. The network will initially be available in five cities, Belfast, Cardiff, Edinburgh, Leeds and London. The firm is targeting key locations such as stations, shopping centres and stadiums, including Twickenham and Arsenal's Emirates Ground. It plans to offer 5G at the same price as 4G, although this will exclude the monthly handset cost. Slough, the town where O2 is headquartered, will be the first non-city to benefit from its 5G with other with 14 other towns and cities to follow this year. This one, I'm not bitter about, I promise. Mobile Network 3 has acknowledged technical difficulties with voice, text and data that left many customers unable to use their devices. The problems appear to have started on Wednesday night, according to Down Detector's website. By late Thursday, the company had said it had managed to restore service for most of its subscribers. 3 apologized for the problem and said it was sorting this out right now. 3 tagged O2 in a tweet saying, Oi, did you unplug our network so you could plug in your 5G? Not cool, guys. One customer said the joke might have been cute if the problems hadn't have been ongoing for more than nine hours. The US Air Force has finally retired the 8-inch floppy disks that could be used in the launch of nuclear missiles from silos around the country, according to a Thursday report from defense site C4ISRnet. Say that 10 times fast. The archaic strategic automated command and control system switched its storage component from the floppy disks to a highly secure solid state digital storage solution in June. The report said, quoting Lieutenant Colonel Jason Rossi, commander of the Air Force's 595th Strategic Communications Squadron. This is full of tongue twisters. Uh, Rossi told C4ISRnet that though the overall computer system is old, its age provided security. You can't hack something that doesn't have an IP address. It's a very unique system. It is old, but it is very good, Rossi told the publication. And finally, a flaw that means any fingerprint can unlock a Galaxy S10 phone has been acknowledged by Samsung. It promised a software patch that would fix the problem. The issue was spotted by a British woman whose husband was unable to lock her phone 
with his thumbprint when it was stored in a cheap case. When the S10 was launched in March, Samsung described the fingerprint authentication system as revolutionary. The scanner sends ultrasonic, or sorry, ultrasounds rather, to detect 3D ridges of fingerprints in order to recognize users. Samsung said it was aware of the case of S10's malfunctioning fingerprint recognition and will soon have a software patch. Five G, whilst it's great and all, I I would really much prefer that networks would get four G right first because it's still not quite abundant in towns, cities maybe, but towns no, it doesn't. I mean, it, mm. I don't know. I mean, I can only speak from personal experience, but from or since I've switched from a three to EE. Oh really? Got, since you switched, four G yes. pretty much everywhere. Like it's it's hard to find any built up area that doesn't have some kind of four G signal. If not, it'll be a full. 3G signal most of the time. By the way, it's totally 100% coincidental that I put the three-story in your uh, reading slot because it's totally oh, coincidental. Yeah, sure. Of course. I mean, is there anything you'd like to uh, tell us about the frustrations of that this week? Not particularly, no. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's uh huh, yeah. And and the thing is, they didn't really seem to do anything in a hurry about it. Their support was pretty much useless. Because you couldn't access the support, because you couldn't contact them, because the app wasn't working, and you couldn't make a phone call to them because you couldn't make a phone call. Essentially, the phone was a brick, which I, is great. I did have a chuckle at that tweet. I thought it was... Oh, did you? Oh, right. I it was quite a no good service. tweet, because it was well-timed with O2 it turning It was well-timed, yes. Yeah, but I, I mean, I don't think they understood the frustration of their customers, and in making a joke out of it, kind of, you know... Well, I guess on the flip side of that, it's like, I mean, what a customer support representative is probably the one running social media and it's hardly like they can go and help fix it so they might as well uh might as well, make <laughs> might as well be doing something light productive. of the situation i i bet they were using their uh, o2 or ee phone to uh <laughs> send that though, weren't they? yeah to send it floppy disks do you ask military floppy disks hmm. I, I guess it's true it doesn't have an ip address that's like that's one saving grace right i mean that is exactly it um was it ob- obscurity or security by obscurity or something like that mm. um it doesn't have an ip it's not connected uh to the to the net or to any kind of network so uh you know it's a fair point which is actually further emphasized by samsung's problem this week obviously slightly different you know thumbprint on someone's phone versus a a system which controls nuclear missiles i i think i know which one's more important but it just goes to show revolutionary fingerprint authentication which uses ultrasounds to send 3d ridges of fingerprints in order to recognize users when in actual fact nah just anyone will do Just, just on that note, actually, um, the Google obviously announced the Pixel 4 this week, and with it, they bring um, face unlocking. I, I want to call everything like that face ID now. It's it's amazing how Apple just get inside your brain. It's like you call every fingerprint reader touch ID and every face unlocker thing uh, face mm. ID. But um, it's like every MP3 player was an iPod. But um, and I was I was reading how it works, and uh, people seem genuinely or generally impressed by it. How quick it is it seems to be on par if not slightly uh, quicker than an apple's offering but mm. i think i read somewhere that it'll work even with your eyes closed i think now imagine this is to probably compensate for for you blinking and things like that but on the flip side of that i actually thought that was quite a maybe an unintentional but quite a neat security feature of things like or of some of the others the fact that they didn't work with eyes closed because your eyes closed are obviously you know during your sleep and 
whatnot. Someone can't just like hold hold your phone up to your 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 face when you're asleep or something and unlock your phone. I, I actually quite interested to see whether you can turn things like that off because more and more as we're we're finding more convenient ways or, or manufacturers are finding more convenient ways for us to log into our devices. It does seem that these security flaws and and just little kind of details are are, are popping up more and more. Highlighted here, obviously by uh, by Samsung. They've they've tried to do something innovative and what they called revolutionary and it may well have uh, backfired on them slightly. I guess in that case it goes back to that military story with, with floppy disks. Sometimes the simplest solution is the most secure, a password. Now, passwords have vulnerabilities and have uh, issues themselves, but it's a lot more difficult. Well, I guess the software could, could flaw to, to accept any four-digit or six-digit or whatever the code is, I guess, it, theoretically, but it's less likely I, from a, a an infrastructural and a, a coding point of view to to mess that up because obviously there's something in the software here that's telling the phone oh, the fingerprint's fine even if it's not even if it doesn't match the one on file or the one that's stored I would assume that's obviously what's happening it has to be a software issue right yeah I think um a lot of these devices now will if they don't quite recognize something they will try and do a best guess um, Facebook have been doing something actually kind of along similar lines for years now. If you've ever noticed on the Facebook login screen, when you type your email address and password in, um, I believe you always have to get the password correct, but if you misspell your email address, it will actually often let you in um, because Facebook or many companies, the point of login, whether it be the website or your phone, is a friction point. Um, the slower it is, the more cumbersome it is, the more times you tell a user they've got it wrong, the less likely they are to uh, return obviously kind of applies less with a phone um, but to a website it's obviously a big thing so what Facebook did is they've come up with some fancy algorithm I assume that when you miss type a email address again I assume you have to type the password in it'll know you've got the password in and it'll do some fancy matching on the email address to try and find the right one I assume which I think is pretty clever but is also kind of open to a bit of uh, a bit of interpretation slightly um, I think mm. phones often do a, a similar thing they, I assume they have kind of some, uh, not error checking, but uh, error correction almost. So maybe the fingerprint doesn't totally match, but it'll still let you in. I don't know, but I'd be interested to see if it works like this. Because the worst thing for, for Apple or Samsung or whomever would be that the phone is so secure that if you don't put your finger on perfectly or if you don't look at it in the right direction, you know, with the right amount of light on your face, that it will just go, nope, can't see you or don't know who you are. Mm. Um, obviously, they want to create an easy experience experience often they try and find uh try and find ways of doing that within the code quote is a finger placed on the fingerprint sensor yes oh it's fine let it in it's fine it's essentially what's happening you could joke about it but essentially that's what's happening Banning staff from accessing their work emails outside office hours could do more harm than good to employee well-being, a study suggests. The University of Sussex researchers found that while a ban could help some staff switch off, it could also stop people achieving work goals, potentially causing stress. Companies are increasingly curbing email use to tackle burnout. France has even legislated on the issue, but human resources body CIPD said it agreed with the university's findings. According to the research, strict policies and email use could be harmful to employees with high levels of anxiety and neurotism i don't know i mean it, yeah i i don't have a, a particular opinion i just think there is a need for a balance 
But I don't think that needs to be legislated. You can't or you can or you should or you shouldn't. I think it's just a case of you, you need to measure it yourself. You need to understand when you should be and when you shouldn't be partaking in those activities. I think that's exactly it. It's that fine balance, that work-life balance, that, that, that magic phrase that's getting thrown around a lot at the moment. Um, I know a lot of people who don't necessarily do work outside of work hours, let's say, but they will kind of prune and keep on top of their email inbox purely for the fact that there's nothing worse for them than, than turning up on a Monday morning and spending the first two hours of your day dealing with mm. uh, or just going back through your backlog of emails. Um, um, so I think for those type of people, not having access to their emails outside of work could be a negative thing. I don't think it would necessarily be a negative thing on them personally. I think it would just inconvenience them during the week more. I know for myself, you know, never been a huge one to uh, to look at work email out, out, outside of work. It's very much a you, you try and keep work at work and kind of home at home type thing. Um, I think it's an interesting one. That I, I know we spoke about the uh, when France started to legislate that. I know we spoke about that uh, couple years ago now um and it's tricky isn't it because yeah basically banning people from working outside of work hours or having access to email at, at the very least I, I assume all type of communication just it can't be the best solution it feels like this is something that has to, to come from the workplace themselves like it has to be a this is the culture you instill rather than the law dictates that you can't access email outside of nine to five do you think that there needs to I mean, well, right. Yeah, so it's it's that accessing, but taking upon it. Now, there are two points to this. Number one, a workplace may potentially put pressure on staff. Oh, well, oh, did you not get that email last night? You know, that, that, mm. there's, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. Number one, you could say, well, if, if you don't ban it, just discourage it. But at the same time, there could be a culture within companies that people feel pressurized to actually respond or react to something. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people I know or a lot of people I have known have been like constantly connected. Like they'll put their work email on their phone and, you know, turn notifications on. So whenever any emails coming in even if it's like you know 7am on a Sunday morning or whatever then mm. um, they'll be responding to it. On the flip side of that a I guess a ban or a more stricter guidelines would probably stop those emails being sent in the first place at that time so I guess there are kind of two sides. It's not just about responding it's about uh, about writing those, those emails as well. I, again like I said I often come into work on a Monday morning and I check my email inbox and I can see people have been emailing at you know 10pm on a Sunday or something um, um, I guess just, just kind of checking their email and, and prepping for the week, which I think is fine. I think as long as it doesn't become a thing and like an expectation almost, um, then I don't really see a problem with that. I think as soon as it becomes a, if you don't do that, then that's a problem. Yeah. It's really tough, isn't it? I, I just feel like a ban, I mean, I, I'm not encouraging the use of work emails outside of work-related hours, but a ban just feels very solid. So despite the best intentions of policies limiting email use, a one-size-fits-all approach should be avoided. Blanket bans would unlikely to be welcomed by employees who prioritize work performance goals and who would prefer to attend work outside of hours if it helps them get their tasks completed. People need to deal with email in the way that suits their personality and their goal priorities in order to feel like they're adequately managing their workload. So German carmaker Volkswagen has configured its servers so emails can be sent to employees' phones from half an hour before the work 
working day begins to half an hour after and not at all during weekends. Lidl buses in Belgium also planned all internal email traffic between 6 and six at night and 7 in the morning to help staff clear their minds and enjoy time off. See, governments are now looking at implementing the policies more widely. See, I like things like that. I like the VW and the little approach to things. Um, it's not a law. It's not a thou shall do this. It's a company mm. instilling that uh, that work-life balance and, and kind of forcing it upon their employees. I also appreciate there's kind of that next level up where a few people may take this or some people may take this as companies, you know, you know they might as well start telling them how to breathe and how to put one foot in front of the other and uh, to walk and things. Um, people should be allowed to come to their, their own decisions. But I do like the idea that companies, okay, you can write emails, you can, you, you can read emails and whatnot, but if you hit reply, type it out and hit send, that email isn't getting that, it's getting queued up to be sent at 8.30 on Monday morning. Mm. Um, I think that's a fine thing to do. It means you can still deal with your email or you can, you know, you could expand that to, to SMS or Slack or whatever. Um, you can still deal with your backlog of email or write an important email or whatever it is, but you are, you don't then have the expectation or no one else has the expectation that they then need to reply to you at 10 p.m. on a Sunday because it's not turning up in their inbox until 9 a.m. on a Monday, which I think is a, I think that's a pretty great thing. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are ways of getting around that. I'm sure if you mark it as high priority or something, then it, it will send or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. I don't think we've ever considered the, the other side to that study. I know when we talked about uh, France, when it originally happened, it was, it was very much we thought of it was, it was a positive thing and, you know, it was a great thing people shouldn't be looking at emails outside of work but I think when you actually see the there are people who are very career driven and that's obviously a a fantastic thing um, who want to be on top of their game and not necessarily working all the time but be able to have a you know I guess a good rapport with their colleagues and whatnot you know time to think and they can better to reply to an email at the weekend or whatever than when you're at the office or something like that Um, I don't think we ever really I don't think many people have ever considered that that other side Hmm. It's hard to know. It's such it's such a touchy subject because some workplaces, well, some might require you know on call or certain things to be monitored. It's hard to know, but I I think it needs to be company driven and it needs to be company policy and company. Uh, what is the word here? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Company mindset. Mindset. No, but there there's a better culture. Culture, that's the one. Company culture that the employees don't actually feel under pressure. Because I can guarantee you that you can say, or a company can say, oh, you know what, don't worry about that. Don't worry about checking your emails. And there will be someone somewhere within the company who will expect an employee to check and reply to an email. Why? I sent that yesterday at 7 p.m. Why did you not get back to me with that? I needed it for this meeting this morning. Where is it? Not my desk. You know, that kind of thing, which defeats the point entirely, doesn't it? Because then that just causes more problems. And all right, well, I didn't check my emails because I wanted time away. But if I don't check my emails now, I'm going to get in trouble work and it's going to cause problems. I'm just going to check them. I'm going to be really paranoid about checking my emails and making sure I respond to everything else as soon as I can and, and yada, yada, yada. I guess that's exactly that's how it. how it could go. You know that's how it could work, right? Oh, 100%. And that, that's exactly it. I, th- I think kind of to round up what we've been talking about, you, you nailed it on the head there with as long as it doesn't become an expectation. I don't see a problem with people being able to do, to answer yeah. emails, to write emails, whatever it is. 
But as soon as that expectation happens that, you know, even if it's like the unspoken expectation, um, you know, there are very much companies out there that will passively uh, mark you down for performance for not responding to emails on the weekend and whatnot, even though they've potentially never asked you to, you know, that type of thing. That is mm-hmm. not cool. It's, you know, not about that work-life balance. People should have lives outside of work, unfortunately. Not unfortunately. Fortunately. Unfortunately, you're, yeah. you're, you're keen. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. People shouldn't have lives. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> people should have lives outside of work. I know there are a lot of people who work starts at 9 a.m. and ends at 5 p.m. And I know there are a lot of people that would be quite happy to work all around the clock. Everyone is wired differently. Um, some people just want to turn up, do the best during working hours, cash a paycheck and go home. And that's not to say they they want to they want to turn up, put low effort in, go home again. You know, they do their best. They do their job to the best of their ability between their working hours. No more, no less. And that is fine. I think that applies to a huge percentage of the population. There are then, of course, those people who will go or want to go above and beyond, who kind of live and breathe the company, um, so to speak. I've, I've heard that terminology thrown around a little too much for my liking in the past. Um, and those people, I think it's like a, if that's all they've known all their lives, then it can be a, a bit of a mindset change to them when they turn it to a place and work with people who don't think like that um mm. but i think banning it entirely those two mindsets can work hand in hand together one person can reply to their emails on the weekend the other person cannot it doesn't you know the world will continue revolving if that report is not in your inbox on monday morning at 9 a.m more people need to understand that i think whatever way you want to look at it there are positives and negatives for and against having a blanket ban and not having a blanket ban having company policy not having company po- company policy there's no right or wrong answer here what this latest research suggests is if you do put a blanket blanket ban it could potentially cause more problems than what it solves kind of agree with it i think it needs to be comp- company in just rather than a, a a full scope operation but it's not gonna happen overnight and that type of culture doesn't change overnight either netflix feeling the pressure C- competitors are circling around as the famed and admired early mover in the high quality streaming industry netflix has built a formidable business worth in the region of 125 billion dollars in the past three months it's added 6.7 million new subscribers bringing its total user base to 153 million worldwide but the next three months will prove to be the most challenging yet soon they'll be completing with uh disney plus hbo max and apple tv plus all companies with enormous brand recognition and a strong desire to take their own slice of streaming's riches netflix wrote to investors earlier in the week to tell them that competition would be a good thing the rising tide of streaming services would just tempt more people away from the linear tv as they term it and into streaming services just like the evolution from broadcast tv to cable these once in a generation changes are very large and open up big new opportunities for many players for example the first decades of cable networks like tbs usa espn mtv and discovery didn't take much audience share from each other but instead they collectively took audience share from broadcast viewing i don't know it's different because streaming is you pay for that service to get that service whereas these channels you typically paid for cable and got all of the channels on it you know so you're not paying one subscription getting netflix and tv apple tv plus and Disney Plus and HBO Max, you know, you're making, picking and choosing what you want out of those. Very seldomly will someone go, yep, I'm going to subscribe to Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and HBO Max and Apple TV Plus. And, you know, it's like saying, oh, I'll subscribe to Spotify and Apple Music and Google Play Music. You're not really going to. No, it's slightly different in the fact that the companies are offering exclusive content to their network, which I think Netflix probably saw the writing on the wall a number of years ago and recognized the fact that they needed to make an offer um, something slightly 
completely different rather than just programs which were available elsewhere, which I, I th- was a great move for them because Netflix today is not what Netflix was in 2012, 2010 because of their unique and, and uh, their, their, their own content. Would you agree with that? 100%. Original content has been game-changing for Netflix, especially as more and more of the big companies um, for traditional films that aren't Netflix uh, made pull their content off of Netflix. Um, mm. Disney being obviously one of the latest to do so, obviously moving to launch their own platform. Um, I think you kind of alluded to it there. I think Netflix, I don't think they fail to realize, but I think Netflix are assuming that people will subscribe to more than one of these. Um, and I think that can't be further from the truth. Um, we see it today with cable. Um, I assume it's the same in the so I believe it's the same in the States, but over here, take a company like Sky and you don't just pay one price and get everything. There's packages and deals and this and that and the other um, that you have to pay for. And I think a, a lot of people want to move away from that. And I think moving into a world where you're paying $10 a month for this and $10 a month for that and another $10 and another $10 and another and another and another will just get or will just jade people over time. Um, I don't think people are, that that's a world people want to move into. People have been moving from cable TV, traditional TV to streaming services because at the moment, in reality, it is just Netflix. I know there are a couple of others. Um, take Amazon, for example. Amazon have the advantage that they obviously have a lot more to offer around that and they've been able to build Prime Video up as very much like a byproduct of you pay us for Prime for shipping and whatnot. So they're a slightly kind of uh, exception to the rule here. Um, but the rest of them, in reality, it's just been Netflix being the big player up until this point. So people have been switching um, from paying, let's say, lots and lots of cable subscriptions or paying for lots of packages and whatnot to just paying for Netflix. Obviously, the big holdout still is things like uh, live sports, which we've seen Amazon have been trying to do a little bit about recently. Um, mm. I think as soon as it becomes, well, if you want to watch Stranger Things, it's on Netflix. If you want to watch any Disney program, it's on Disney. If you want to watch The Morning Show, it's on Apple TV+, Plus. Uh, Game of Thrones, you know, HBO. Let's say they're all $10 a month. That's, you know, 40 50 60 plus dollars a month you're paying all of a sudden. Um, Which and- kind of defeats the point of cutting cable, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. That's exactly it. I think that's the, the thing that... I think Netflix are probably just saying these to reinsure investors, but I think Netflix are very much well aware oh, that yeah. they have to stay on top of their game. They have to be the one thing people subscribe to. Netflix obviously have the advantage that they're a household name at this point. Apple and Disney, HBO, all both household names, but not necessarily for streaming at this point. Um, Netflix will always be able to tout, we've got Stranger Things, we've got House of Cards, you know, Breaking Bad, whatever it is this week, um, which bring in the big numbers for them. Um, and they're like a original content churn house at this point, like so much stuff. Every time you open up Netflix, there's a new series of this, that, and the other, or a new film and whatnot. They really have got something for everyone. Um, and Netflix, I think we'll see more and more of that soon, because um, Netflix want to stay that, that name in the forefront of people's mind when they turn on their Apple TV. Apple are going to make it, do their damnedest to uh, get 
get people to go subscribe to TV Plus, but Netflix want to make it so you're intentionally going to go and watch Stranger Things or something. You need to go open that Netflix app and keep your subscription running. Obviously, they've already got the advantage of having all those subscriptions as well. Um, I don't think in a year's time we're going to be talking about like the demise of Netflix or anything. I don't see that subscriber number fluctuating a whole lot. I think it will still only go up. Um, it will be interesting to see. We're hearing numbers that you know they're expecting uh, Apple and Disney to to accrue tens of millions um, in the next couple years of subscribers. Um, which, to be honest, I can definitely see. Um, I think we all thought Apple Music would be a bit of a hilarious flop, and then it turned not to be that. Um, I think the TV thing will be a little bit of a harder sell. Um, but obviously, Apple are doing the whole: if you buy any new Apple product at the moment, you get twelve months free, um, which is another big thing. Um, Disney. I mean, need I say more? <laughs> you know, having the whole Disney back catalogue speaks for itself, really, and uh, that will entice entice yeah. enough people in. Um, but yeah, I I think. Netflix are right when they say competition is obviously a good thing. We've always said that. The more the merrier in any sector, um, whether it be streaming, whether it be physical technology, whatever it is, the more the merrier. Um, so I think they are right in that respect. I think it's just going to cause all of them to up their game. Apple are going to have to produce the best original content. Netflix are going to have to produce the best. Amazon produce the best, etc., etc. Um, which sitting here as a consumer is a great thing. Just as long as none of them start locking into like long long-term contracts and whatnot like at the moment they all sit on reoccurring rolling monthly fees so you pay your 10 bucks and you get 30 days out of that um obviously it's a reoccurring subscription but i'm pretty sure you can cancel at any time as long as they don't start like getting a bit sneaky and locking you in for 12 months and whatnot yeah they all have their own things to bring to the table and i don't think netflix's little letter to investors is Mm, I would be more worried than that. Not saying it's going to be an issue. I mean, they have 150 plus million subscribers. They're all right. 153 million worldwide. They'll be all right. But at the same time, competition is competition. Prices are prices, you know, and they can't really negate that factor. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see this time next year when all these services have launched what the share of the pie is. Right now, it's impossible to tell whether people will move away from one, whether they'll adopt more than one. Will Netflix have the strong user base and continue to keep it because they were there first? Could be. We'll just not know until the time. Speaking of Apple, their 16-inch MacBook Pro has potentially, or a 16-inch MacBook Pro, I should really say, has been potentially, possibly referenced in macOS Catalina 10.15.1. An icon showing what has been widely rumored, but not proved, pr- pr- proven, been uncovered um, by a French blog, Mac Generation, in the first two betas of macOS Catalina version 10.15.1, which has been in testing since last week. The icon looks similar to the 15-inch MacBook Pro, which is included in previous versions, obviously, of macOS, but with slightly thinner bezels. It's depicted in both silver and space grey, with 16 in both file names, presumably uh, referring to the larger 16-inch display expected for the rumored machine. Just shows they're not, they haven't quite lost the focus on notebooks and laptops just yet. I say just yet, but it's nowhere in the near future, of course. What's the need for an extra inch, really? Is this just, just them taking it, you know, changing the model they have? Bearing in mind, um, Apple obviously used to offer a 17-inch version for a long time, and there is there is a market for people who will always want more screen real estate. I think the reason there's so much interest in this machine is because it's potentially less about the 16-inch screen size, and it's potentially more about what keyboard does it have? 
Um, mm. This could potentially be, we've been saying for like 12 months now, we're coming to the end of this design cycle on the MacBook Pro. Um, this could be the one that brings in the new design cycle, um, which I think everyone is beyond waiting for. Um, long overdue at this point. Um, Apple have just, I mean, obviously well-documented fallen apart, tripped over themselves time and time again, unnecessarily for uh, with the current MacBook generation, which is a little, uh, little disappointing. The one thing I would say is you look at these assets and they, they, they do very much either depict that Apple are going to be going back to the older design, to the older keyboard, to that old older kind of unibody design and maybe slightly yeah. thicker, which is, is great and I think everyone's like, yes, there was nothing wrong with it. Please go back. Um, interesting choice of wallpaper. I don't know if anyone's commented on that um if you look at the wallpaper the icon that's a mac os tiger wallpaper just an interesting uh interesting thing to note yeah. um i mean mac rumors trying trying to throw people off the scent i don't know if it's off the scent i mean this is deep buried within the uh within some assets libraries it's just an icon um this could be used anywhere mm. um but we were hearing rumors of obviously an october event it's not unusual for apple to do an october event um as we are what's today the 19th of october um we're kind of running out of days to even get an invite out and obviously apple are readying the launch of tv plus for the first of november so i won't be surprised if we don't have any kind of october event this year maybe this stuff just appears on the store one day maybe it's scheduled for november or january i don't know um but yeah it's it's an interesting one there's been a lot of rumors floating about the 16 inch for what feels like years now um this is kind of the first hard evidence um, I mean, it could be nothing. Apple don't tend to put icons in unless it is for something. Um, this wouldn't be the first time we've seen something leak via an icon. I believe the iPhone, is it 10? Was revealed by the HomePod firmware, I believe. Um, the icons for the iPhone showed up in there first. Um, so this stuff has happened before. People have obviously been digging into these pretty high-res icons. Um, you can just about make out the keyboard. Obviously, it's a, it's a front-on view so you are looking at a um a flat view of the keyboard um it does look like there is a physical escape key it, pretty difficult to tell um and we have no idea this could well just be a placeholder icon that is not unknown for apple to do as well um especially given the older wallpaper on the icon um this could well be apple need they need an asset in the system because they're referencing a 16 inch icon but they 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 might not do something so obvious and actually put the actual picture of the device in there um so this this could be nothing it probably does tend to show that there is a 16 inch coming um but i mean we've probably been saying that for like two or three years now um but yeah i just want to know what that new design is going to look like what's the new keyboard going to be what's the new design is it just the apple reverting back to the old design if so count me in um i think many people would do i speak for many people when i say that uh, most people don't want anything new let's just go back to what we had before let's chuck a couple more ports on it let's put the old keyboard in or if you're gonna stick with butterfly the magic keyboard stupid name but the magic keyboard is perfect it doesn't break um you can probably eat toast over it and it doesn't matter um but yeah that's i think what most of us are interested in mm. what would be nice is if 
Apple's newly founded software was actually in any way, shape or form reliable. Should I talk or should you, Aaron? Because I think we both have <laughs> something to say on that. I mean, I will say Catalina has been fine. Apart from that weird initial ex- uh, setup experience I had, which apparently was a bug because it was fixed in a supplemental update. Obviously, it was mm. a bug. Um, but I think like out of probably six Macs we updated in this house, like five of them had the issue. So it was definitely an issue. Um, basically, it would just get stuck on the, uh, you know, when it does the setting up your Mac with the loading spinner, it would get stuck on that and you'd have to force it off and on. It's been fine since. Not a single issue. I've just done the supplemental update yesterday i think um i've got nothing bad to say i obviously wasn't running any 32-bit apps so everything seems fine audio recording software seems fine touch wood um just i don't know maybe it's just because i use mainstream applications i don't really use anything niche it's been fine ios 13 on the other hand it still feels like beta season to be honest like ios 13 even though i'm now running the release 13.1.3 i think um it still feels like we're in that July August time you know where it's a beta very unreliable just came out type thing um I just um just this weekend trying to use my airpods on the phone to you just <laughs> randomly one of them would drop out then the other would drop out and then my airpods mm. would disconnect which by the way I've been running iOS 13 since August I think July August that's a new one on me and I'm running the release version so I don't know what that's about um just odd issues like every time I or well, lot of the time when I unlock the phone it's just sluggish and slow for like 30 seconds like animations just don't exist it's just like when you open an app it just like bam there's the app there's no like animation type thing um it's just it's not been great to be honest and I've, I've been talking to a few people and iOS 13 is peeving a lot more people off than it's making happy like if you want to Apple have changed the way you do kind of copy and paste I think um obviously they've changed things like the undo uh gesture as well yeah. but with copy and paste now I've noticed that often I will want to let's say I want to send a text message to you and let's say I want to quote an article I'll go and copy the sentence out of the article and I will hop over to iMessage and I want to put quotes around it now I'll write my quotes out and what you used to be able to do is you just hold down the magnifying class comes up the cursor gets put in the right place and you hit paste you know fine and easy what happens now is there is literally no way of pasting it without deleting the quotes it always (laughs) highlights the quotes and deletes them it's like brilliant just things like that are just so irritating in the mail app as well we've gone from having a nice array of buttons along the bottom for each message oh don't to the number yeah everything is everything is buried in the reply button which is like it's not even a more button or something it's the (laughs) reply arrow (laughs) and then it's like if you want to move it it's in there why is it in there (laughs) they have changed as far as i'm aware that the trash and the reply obviously used to be the other way around so every time i go to reply i actually hit the trash i throw the email into trash i have to go into trash to get it back into my inbox to reply to it and then i do the same thing again send it to trash again and then i have to take it back from the trash to the inbox again and then finally remind myself the button is in a different place do that and then yeah it's you're right apple changed a number of things in ios 13 they did not need to change and i think they changed it for the sake of changing it and i don't appreciate that i, I mean i've, I've really been taught necessary i've been talking to to everyday joes and that's been a thing they've noticed like i can't even sit here and go well maybe the vast majority of apple users are totally fine with it and that's actually the way they wanted it because it just doesn't make sense apple have had this hell-bent thing on just in mail hiding everything under the reply button for a long time um, which has been incredibly infuriating but now we've got this giant 
space over to the left of the buttons, which is just like, just put some buttons there. You know, yeah. just, I quite like, I always use the move icon. I'm always filing email. Um, So just have that button there. Like, that was a really, I don't want to have to click reply and then find the move button. It's just, I, I don't like that. I mean, there are probably dozens of things we can find that they have made better. But obviously the ones that stand out are the ones that we sit there and go, why? Why did you do that? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and and text is probably the biggest one for me so far. It just, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I just feel like I'm being an idiot. It's making me feel like an idiot every time I want to just copy and paste some text. Like, copy and paste wasn't perfect before, but I don't know what it is. Oh, and the, um, if you spell something wrong, you know, it puts the red squiggly line underneath and you tap it mm. and it used to come up with the word that you meant. No, no, no. If you tap it now, it comes up with copy, paste, replace. And you then have to tap replace, then tap the word you wanted. It's just like, why are you adding more clicks in? Like, who taps on a word with a red squiggly underline with the intention of copying it? It just feels so bananas to me. Mm. Counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah. Majorly counterintuitive. I don't know. I just, I think they, they change things for the sake of changing them in iOS 13 with some things obviously. And as you say, there are um, certain features which have been integrated we might not even notice but are actually doing the job right but it's just frustrating um, especially replying to emails and uh, photos I, I'm not 100% sold on videos and the playback of videos either there are a number of things but That's, we I, will digress I was going to say I agree with you on that it's a little weird you have to turn sound on and whatnot <laughs> yeah and it's just automatic playing it's hard to hard to understand that does it for episode 484. Until next week, you can find more episodes over at munchtech.tv. If you're listening on your mobile device, munchtech.tv forward slash mobile for our ultimate guide to podcasting, munchtech.tv forward slash ultimate podcast guide and our interview with the co-founder of Apple, Steve Wozniak, munchtech.tv forward slash was. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. Until 485, have a good one. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.